Welcome everybody to another episode of The Modern Goddess. Today we have Asti with us to explain and explore her world. And uh, we're just going to start off with the usual question and then let's just see where it goes from there. Asti, what do I need to do to love you properly? Oh my God, to love me properly. Um, Okay, so first of all, um i acknowledge the fact that i have a queen complex right um in the sense that you know i don't i don't believe i have the disney princess complex in which i feel that i need to be saved or you know i need a prince charming to sort of like pull me out of my sleep and save me kind of thing um but because i am who i am in terms of my job and in terms of um, my career and where I am in life at the moment, I feel that I have more of a queen complex where I need someone who can run with me, not to save me, but someone who can run with me, someone who can keep up with my schedule and my adventures and my thought patterns and can talk to me about anything and everything, you know, like a, um, not just talk to me about, I don't know, um, where I'm from and what I do for a living or anything like that, but actually be able to talk to me about, okay, so what's the state of the economy? And what do you think about government policy? And what do you think about this and that? And, you know, like really those sort of like um, deeper sort of conversations. Um, I don't need a lot of help, but I do like to ask for help still. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I did one of those five love languages type thing and, uh, definitely my, um, act of, uh, in terms of what I appreciate the most is acts of service. And that's probably because I feel that I can do a lot of things myself, but it's always awesome to have someone to step in and say, Hey, I can take that off your plate or, just for me to know that even though I can run my kingdom, so to speak, um, I have like, you know, a steady sort of like partner, a steady sort of like rock that if I do need to fall apart or if I do need help, then that person can catch me. So. Beautiful. So what is your situation? Are you single, married? You've obviously got a kid. You're a doctor of something. You tell us about that. So, yeah, so I'm a chief economist um, for PRD, um, which is a national and also international real estate company. And so I have a doctorate in economics and law. Um, And so my job really pushes my boundaries and pushes me where I sort of lead a semi-public lifestyle um, in the sense that I'm always at events. I do keynotes at conferences. I'm in the media as an expert. Um, I go to a lot of charity events. Um, I'm on the board and the secretary of um, Multicultural Queensland, Australia. Um, so, you know, like my life is always busy. It's, 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 it's packed. Um, I am separated. I've been separated since um, no, officially November 2018. Um, I do currently have a partner um, that is amazing and funnily enough, um, we were best friends, like I said, we've been friends for 12 years now. Um, we dated actually back in like late 2008, early 2009, when we were still young sort of thing. And um, <laughs> that didn't work out at that time. Um, but somehow or another, you know, he, we've always kept in contact. And um, we decided to actually catch up after my birthday in 2018. He didn't even know that I was separated at the time. He just felt that he had to catch up with me, um, you know, on that particular birthday. Backstory is that he used to always message me every single year on my birthday to say, happy birthday, let's catch up. But it never happened. But for some reason, 2018, he felt the catch up had to happen. Wow. Um, so funnily enough, he was my Valentine in 2009 and he was my Valentine again in 2019. So, you know, it's one of those sort of like stories. Um, I do have a 
toddler. She is three and a half going on, I don't know, either 13 or 35. I can't really quite work it out, but um, <laughs> she's a very, very sassy little miss. Um, so from a home life situation, that's, that's currently where I'm at. And um, like I said, it's, uh, you know, I, I remember when I was first in the dating scene, after, you know, I, after I separated, I, I sort of went, oh my God, like, I sometimes kind of go, I look at my diary and I'm like, I can't, like, if this person asked me for a date now, I can do it in the next three weeks. And then if you'd like another date, you'd have to wait for like another two months just because of the volume, you know, obviously between parenting schedule, which will really like cuts down my availability to literally two nights or three nights a week compounded with the amount of events, charity, you know, meetings, all of the invites that I get. Like I know that my assistants have to actually manage my calendar for me. And to a certain extent, sometimes my current partner actually talks to my assistant more so than to me to arrange stuff. Um, but the fact that he's able to roll with that is something that I need in a partner um, yeah. just because of who I am. And also, you know, we've only known each other for about two, three minutes, but you could probably already tell that I'm such an extroverted, outgoing sort of like, you know, go-getter. Um, I remember giving a, um, a keynote at Women's International Women's Day and one of my mottos is that I say yes to any opportunity and then I figure out the details later, <laughs> which means that then my calendar gets so um, busy and also my thought patterns are right, left, center in like, you know, within a mile and an hour sort of thing. So, yeah, so that's currently what my situation is. Oh, that's lovely. So are you able to be present with your child? Are you able to sort of slow down and be with them? In a yeah, I mean, this is, and I mean, this is the reason why I've had to actually really put my foot down with my um, ex-husband, with my child's father, in terms of establishing a parenting plan. Um, and I think, I think that's what one of the things about being a modern goddess is that knowing your boundaries and knowing, you know, what is it that you need and what you want out of life. And actually, yes, there's flexibility around it, but you also stand your ground. So this is where I really stood my ground in the sense of, look, what is our parenting plan? What can you do in terms of having um, our daughter you know, how many percent, how many nights a week, you know, things like that, um, because that really shapes up my whole, you know, weeks and months. Um, and that if you need a change, then we definitely need at least a two week sort of like time frame. Um, because by the time, I mean, you know, during normal situations, not during COVID-19, obviously, um, it may be March, but my calendar is booked all the way to December. So, you know, for me to be able to say yes to invites or yes to whatever, I actually need to know what my parenting plan is so that on the nights that I am a, par a parent, like as in, you know, you're always a parent, but on the nights where I am there with my daughter, I can definitely, you know, put everything aside. This is my time with you. You're at home. This is what we're doing. This weekend is all about you. It's our daughter, mother, daughter quality time and nobody else disturbs it you know, things like that. So, um, yeah, that, that's where I've really put in those sort of boundaries. And with your first husband, it must have been, I'm assuming, heart-wrenching to, you know, lose the child's daddy out of her life um, permanently. It was. Like that, it, it sounds like a tumultuous circumstance. I feel for you. Were you okay? <sighs> Look... To be honest with you, like I wasn't um, because it all caught me by surprise. Um, you know, I, I've all, like I said, I've always been that go-getter um, kind of like thinking that I knew what my partner was signing up to um, when we got married and when we had kids. And it turned out that that wasn't the case. And there's, there were a few times where I was accused of being too busy or, you know, did you forget that you had a child? You know, that sort of thing, which, which really did hurt. Um, because as a mother, you know, it's always my first thought, right? Like, you know, any travel that I do, 
even if I'm in Sydney, I'm in Brisbane. So even if I'm in Sydney or I'm in somewhere else, I always try to make sure that it's a round trip, like on a day sort of thing, as opposed to being away for a long time, you know, that sort of stuff. So it was definitely heart-wrenching and I did fall apart. Um, and, you know, um, I'm the, the, the classical sort of like suddenly crying in the shower or crying when you're in a parking lot or, you know, all of those sorts of things. Um, but at the same time, you know, I said to myself, look, it's not just about you now. You have a child. You need to be there for your child. You have a household to manage. Um, you can't let go of your career or, you know, any standing that you might have because, you know, that's who you are and that's how you can provide for your child. So, you know, all of these thoughts kind of like helped me rebuild and help me sort of like pull myself out of my funk, so to speak. And sort of like, yeah, it, that, that's where I really draw my strength from. Like whenever I see my daughter, it's kind of like I need to set an amazing example for you that yes things happen in life yes you can cry you can fall apart etc um but you know it's you also have to put on your big girl pants and do what you need to do to ensure that your household doesn't fall apart your career doesn't fall apart your child is well looked after um you know, you nourish yourself mentally. Um, you know, I had sessions with the EPA at work um, so that, you know, I could talk to someone about how all of this is impacting my work life as well as, uh, you know, going on on a mental health plan from the GP and then talking to the psychologist so that I can go through all of it in my head. And, you know, because all of that goes back to your self-esteem and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And um, I'm very, very lucky that I have so many girlfriends and such a strong support system being like from my mum group that I can always talk to them. Um, so I draw my strength from that as well. Mm. I've got a lot of questions for you, but you don't have to answer any of them if it's inappropriate, but I just... Oh, I'll answer anything. I'm an open book. Everybody knows this. I'm sensing <laughs> that, but I, I also want to be sensitive to the child's father. But um, I just wondered if he married a modern goddess, but then decided he didn't really want a modern goddess at all. I mean, I think, I'm not sure whether it's a want thing or whether he didn't quite understand what a modern goddess is. <laughs> he didn't realise that he wasn't going or to be on foot like his father, perhaps. Or, or didn't realize that I am one and then probably was not equipped or educated or what have you on how to handle one that is, as a wife, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. You know, I see a lot more now of like dad groups and like men helping men sort of like Facebook groups, but I definitely did not see that throughout our marriage or, you know, like when our child was born, like I'm part of a mum group for all the three and a half years that I, that my, you know, that my daughter's been alive, but I don't think he's part of any dad group, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that's a lack of what is out there from a societal perspective for support for men or whether he didn't realize what a modern goddess was and how to actually deal with one or that the fact that he had one was an amazing thing. Um, so I, I can't really quite pinpoint it. But the one thing that I can take, um, I suppose, strength and comfort from is that people who have known me for years and years and years and years, and I'm talking like my primary school friends, my high school friends, my uni friends, um, you know, even my current partner at the moment who I, who was in my life because we're both dancers and we talk to each other roughly, like, you know, he says happy birthday and all that, but he's not like a, it wasn't like he was in my life life, if that makes sense, on like a daily basis. Um, even people that I haven't caught up with for like 12, 15 years, and, you know, when I reconnect with, with, with my um, current partner, he hadn't really talked to me or had a sit down, catch up dinner with me for like 11 years. 
and all of their comments and like, you haven't changed. You are still you that I know 10, 11, 12 years ago, you know? And so that really gives me comfort in the sense that, okay, so I have, maybe I have been consistent. Like, you know, this is who I am as a person and my personality did not change throughout or that, um, you know, my outlook in life has changed throughout. It could be that it's more from his side where he's had, you know, a change in what he wants out of life or a change in what he wants out of a partner or, you know, all of those sorts of things. Is so, he a dedicated father? Pardon? Is he a dedicated father? Like, is he into it? Um, I would like to say yes from the perspective of that he is always there for our daughter. He's never missed any days with her except when for when he is away for business or, um, you know, he's taken holidays and things like that. Um, you know, from that perspective, I can't fault, um, you know, any absences or anything like that. Like he's always also asking how she is and, you know, we don't have any financial disagreements, you know, things like that. We, like, I, I don't know whether it comes from my personality myself in the sense that I forgave him. Um, for whatever it is that he's done, like, you know, a long time ago, um, forgiveness was part of my healing. And it was also part of my way of going forward and making sure that our daughter has two parents that are functioning, so to speak. Um, because at the end of the day, I mean, I think we were we were good. Because at the beginning, when uh, when we separated, we decided to go to counseling, not for us as a couple, but on how we can co-parent together as we move forward, mm. um, you know, and that really helped sort of like give us guidelines and assurances on, you know, this is how co-parent can be maximized for the child, you know, things like that. Um, so, yeah. It's, um, I noticed um, was that you got professional help um, when yeah. the marriage fell apart and then you got professional help to decide how to co-parent. Is this part of the modern goddess these days is that they're not ashamed? There's no problem with going and receiving support and a proper uh, professional help to get you through the bad times? Is this a, a normal thing now with your generation? Look, I would say that at the moment with the way that everything is, mental health issues are at the forefront where it's no longer a taboo thing. Right. right. It's, um, you know, even with COVID-19 at the moment, there is so much discussion about men people's mental health being in isolation and lifeline numbers being shared, you know, stuff like that. Um, and so I feel that asking for help. And again, I think, it, I mean, from a societal perspective, I think people are more open to it. But then people are also more open to suggesting it to others that they see that are currently struggling. But I would say that a modern goddess within yourself is you acknowledge that you are in this current feeling mm -hmm. or that you are in this current situation and you need professional help or you need help outside of you that you can't, that you need to access because you can't deal with this at the moment or that you can't deal with it yourself. Um, I actually think it's a combination between a society thing as well as a personal thing. Because I do know of friends that really needs to be pushed to get professional help because they refuse to acknowledge the fact that they need it. But I think being a modern goddess is also about acknowledging what are my boundaries? What can I deal with? This is outside of my ability. I need help. So how did you become you? You are an extraordinarily confident, articulate, intelligent, beautiful, amazing, dynamic. I mean, the list just goes on and I've only known you for 22 minutes and 15 seconds. What advice, <laughs> I love the 15 seconds. <laughs> what advice do you have for other women that, that, how did you become you? How did you get so comfy in your skin and, and you're just so formidable, like whatever you face, you just get on with it. I love that about you. In fact, you're my kind of gal. I love that <laughs> you've found another love and you're getting on with that. You're not traipsing around trying to relive something that didn't quite work. I love that you're friends and you're co-parenting with your 
your ex. Um, uh, what sort of parents did you have? What, what's going on here? <laughs> or were you just born like this? No, no, no. I have, I have, I have formidable parents. Yeah, um, you would have to have good parents for that level of confidence. <laughs> you would have to. They made you into I have an incredible person. I have formidable parents. Like, um, I think one of the was things that my father... Was your mother a modern goddess? I would like to think so. She held her own. Like, people are scared of her. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 but in a good way, you know? Like, yeah, she yeah. is the kind of person who would not hold back in, um, you know, saying what she needs to say or saying what she wants to say. And she's also a person who has very, very strong sort of like, this is what I stand for. This is what I believe in. You know, these are my opinions, you know, things like that. Um, so um, my mother, literally, I would say, rule us with a, um, you know, with a iron, iron hands, iron fist, iron hands, you know, like um, in the sense that she was always saying to us, I do not want you girls, because I have two sisters, I do not want you girls to be the kind of women who needs to depend on any man for income, financials, emotional, um, you know, that you can actually stand on your own two feet and that you are not at the mercy of a man um, in terms of how you can live, how far you can live, what you can and cannot do, you know, things like that. So she's right. always drummed that into us. Um, she was the one who fought for all of us to have an international education. Uh -huh. um, so I'm from Indonesia originally, uh -huh. um, and I came to Australia in 2002 um, to do my bachelor degree. Um, and then I got a scholarship for my master's and then I got a scholarship for my PhD. Wow. And that's how I stayed in Australia. And that's um, why, how I, I'm here right now. Uh, my sisters were educated in, uh, one is America and here, Australia. Another one was Japan, Singapore and here in Australia. Wow. And it was my mother who had always pushed my dad in going, you have to give them the same opportunities that you were given. Because right. my father did, he is, is from Indonesia, we're all Indonesians, um, but he uh, went and did his MBA in, um, in New York, and then he went and did his PhD in, in Birmingham in the UK. So he, so my mother was always pushing my dad saying, this, you know, you have to give them the same opportunities, these are bright girls. She was the one who fought for us to, you know, have international education and literally sacrificed her own motherly needs of having her kids at home and having us close and being able to keep a control over us, so to speak, and, yeah. and, 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 you know, for our future. Um, and my dad, my dad, um, <clears throat> he was uh, the, vice minister, uh, the vice minister for finance. So basically um, the equivalent to the assistant treasurer here in Australia to the federal government in the Indonesian, um, the Republic of Indonesian cabinet um, in the previous cabinet. So uh, not this current one, but the one before. So he was a very high level federal government sort of person. And the one thing that he always taught me was that Asti, no matter what, no matter how far you go or whatever, um, you know, title that you have, never burn bridges people are you know you always treat everybody the same you always you never burn your bridges even if it means that you stay up late at night because you are responding to text messages and facebook messages and any communication from any one of your friends your colleagues or whatever you do that he was the type of guy who, even though he was in control of the country's finances and had 6,000 employees and pulled right, left, center, on a day like Eid, we're Muslims, so Eid is like the equivalent to Christmas, um, he would get hundreds of text messages from all over Indonesia wishing, you know, Eid Mubarak or Merry Christmas, if, essentially. And he would sit for three days straight replying to each message by himself 
individually, not a copy and paste. Some of it is copy and paste because some of it's in Arabic. And so, you know, it's easier to copy and paste, but he would sit there individually, mess replying to every single person's message, not his assistant, not his EA, not anybody, him, himself. And I said, why do you do that? Like, it'd be so much easier for you to outsource. And then he said to me, these people have spent a minute or two of their life to message me. The least that I can do is spend a minute or two of my life to message back. And he's always taught me that, which is why, you know, I've always been that sort of like highly communicative person. And in a way, because of that, it means that I also then create a very strong and support network um, around me and that really I guess fuels my confidence at the same time and, and, and I draw strength from that so yeah I think it's a combination between you know my career and where I'm at as well as how I how I am as a person in terms of how I treat people um, and, um, and and that kind of just created this mix of me I guess yeah, that's amazing to hear that you've, um, you've. Oh, I just love that story about your education and how you, your mother sacrificed um, having you around to put education above her own personal needs to mother you um, yeah. day to day. And that, that is an incredible sacrifice because mothers just essentially <laughs> want you to stay at home forever, really. Oh, my God, <laughs> like, yes, I know. <laughs> Um, but I, lo I love that um, you're introducing, because um, this is likely to have a very, very skewed Australian audience, I'm assuming, but um, we're getting an insight into an Indonesian family and where they're at these days. Um, do you think your upbringing was privileged? Um, I'm assuming it was privileged because your father was so yes. high up in the, in, in the government, but um, is it... Is your the the core values of the Indonesian parents you had? Is that kind of the latest way parents are responding to their children now, or or were your was your upbringing a little unusual, a little bit modern, a little bit um, um, you know unusual in that sense? I mean. I don't think it's that, I mean, it, it, I mean, again, it depends on what each person's parents did, I guess, but neither of my parents came from privilege in the sense that my mother was one of eight, same was my dad, one of eight, and my mother still tells me stories of it was a privilege for all the eight children to be able to share one state together or uh -huh. to be able to share a couple of eggs together. Um, you know, and the same with my dad in terms of he was given responsibilities of, I think it was three chickens or something, so that he can actually then um, have some pocket money because that's, you know, you then um, have eggs and sell them and all this sort of stuff. Um, but in the Indonesian society, especially if you are an academic, so my dad was um, originally, still is at the moment, a lecturer. It is very, very common for lecturers and academics to be sent by the government or by the academic institution to go to other countries for their masters or for their PhD. So, you know, even in Australia, you see a high level of international students here. You see a high level of, you know, masters, PhD, international students. Um, and so I do have a lot of friends whose father or whose mothers have gone through that same track of international education right. um, in their own life and that has been then passed on to their children. Um, but at the same time, I do deeply acknowledge that my upbringing is, is very, very much so privileged in the sense that my mom and dad were able to send us to school and then, you know, that uh, having that international education. Um, because be I know for a fact it might be part of why you're so grounded because they're actually um, self-made and that they built themselves up from the middle class or even what we might consider poverty in Australia yeah um, yeah uh, so oh my god I, I still remember like you know and because I'm the first child right it means that I experience everything <laughs> um, you know, I still remember our first house 
was up in the mountains in like um, one of the provinces in Indonesia. And I remember going to school, not even the top school, but like in up in the mountain kind of school. You know, I remember when we were living in Connecticut, um, just outside of New York, how my father would um, do, would do um, snow shoveling just so that we can have extra income. Yeah. Um, I remember how when we were in the UK and my dad was doing his PhD, that my mother would actually, my mother took an extra job as a sandwich maker um, to supply for the income. And so my first job ever was when I was in year eight and nine. Um, so roughly 13, 14 sort of age. And it was a weekend job at the sandwich maker place. And my first ever task was labeling all of the sandwiches, you know, which one's egg and lettuce, which one's ham and cheese, you know, all of those. And then I graduated to being trusted with the eggs, as in like boiling the eggs. Whoa. It has to be a certain time limit because otherwise when you slice the eggs, the yolk might have like a little black right. ring around it and it will be completely unattractive to customers. Um, and then I graduated. And then I graduated to operating the um, the meat slicing thing, and um, you know, actually putting like the rolls of meat into the sandwiches. And sometimes I would think like, ah, oh, three rolls. This is just it's nothing. I'm I'm putting, I'm putting an extra roll. You know, like it's four rolls for me, uh, not three rolls kind of thing. Um, you know. And I remember my dad um, taking on extra jobs as a. Um, junk mail delivery boy thing so we would get like a whole heap of like junk mail about this much from each different companies and myself my mom my dad my sister would stay up until late at night putting them into like the little pile and then rolling them and like all this sort of stuff and then before 5 a.m 5 a.m we would do our rounds and putting them into the letter boxes you know things like that so I still remember all of those sort of like life lessons and also how my mum would shop at Aldi instead of Sainsbury's in the UK um, and how, you know, it, she would only go at certain times because those certain times are the times that the meats are on sale uh -huh. and then she would portion them and all that sort of stuff. And I still do it now. Like, I like, this is going to sound so weird. Like people look at me and go, what the F are you doing? Like you're on high income. You're a chief economist and you only shop at certain times because you know that stuff are on sale. I remember posting on my Instagram that my whole trolley had like reduced stickers on it. Some of them even twice or three times because, you know, economic principle is that you use the least amount of resources to get the most out of things. So I would buy stuff in bulk and then portion them accordingly so that that one shop might have costed me a little bit even though everything is reduced but it would last my household for two or three weeks <laughs> so you know all of those life lessons I still implement now um, <clears throat> even with whatever level of income that I have um, and I think it's still that whole people thing that they've taught me um, you know about and, and it's because they've been where they have. Like my father might, and he still is, a very respected person in the Indonesian federal government. But at the same time, I've witnessed him doing toilet cleaning jobs for three months to supply, you know, the family's income when we were um, uh, when we were on a scholarship. I think it was only five hundred pounds a month at the time in the UK and he had to feed three children and a wife and himself, you know? And so I've seen all of those things and because they have experienced that, it's like a title is just a title, but a person is a person. And so I don't have any sort of like, you are this, therefore I treat you like this sort of thing. It's more, well, are you nice to me? If yes, then I'm gonna be nice to you back. Yeah, <laughs> it's more more of that sort of um you know that sort of outlook i guess yeah yeah you've got good work ethic from them and perhaps you got a lot of your confidence from being able to do all those jobs and learn how to do all those jobs which built your capability and your trust of self 
we often find um, people with confidence, just natural confidence. It's because they were able to do things as a little kid. As you grow up, you're able to help daddy with his promotional product flyers. You know, you were, yep. you were, you were doing things and building trust in yourself. And so now you've ended up with a good work ethic and good trust in yourself to have a crack and have a go. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, it's funny because I, um, I don't fit the mold in a lot of things. And I think this is one of the things about being a modern goddess is that you don't be afraid to be the black sheep of the family. I am definitely the black sheep of anything and everything. I am not who I'm supposed to be. Like <laughs> Indonesian girls are not supposed to be as outspoken as I will do whatever I want sort of like um personality as i am um you know i remember one time my dad said to me i want you to come in into these negotiations and i said but why like i'm not exactly qualified or i'm not exactly like like i know about it but you know i was i was doing my masters at the time but i'm not even employed by the indonesian government and he goes yeah but you don't see color and you don't see someone's nationality as an impact of their ability. You don't see that someone of white skin or foreign national to be above you. You just look at everybody as people and it is literally their arguments, their policy or whatever it is that they bring to their table. You have no problems with looking another man, an older man, someone who's more senior than you in the eye and talking to them. And so I was like, okay, I'll do my best sort of thing because the Indonesian um, sort of society have always kind of trained you to be a little bit more um, subdued, a little bit more, um, you know, kind of like, I don't know, girly maybe. Um, I'm not girl, like I I'd like to think I'm a bit girly. I still love my high heels, but not girly in the sense of like subservient or, you know, lowering yourself a little bit or not meeting people's gaze, you know, that sort of stuff. I don't, I don't, um, I, I'm a black sheep in that. Um, I'm a black sheep in the world of research as well, because most researchers are very <clears throat> to themselves, more to the book more to the data you know all of this sort of stuff i'm more into let's solve a problem let's get out there let's talk about it you know that sort of personality so you know i'm a black sheep in the family i'm the only one who dared to marry a foreign man um i'm the only one who dared to stay in a foreign country instead of coming home to indonesia for example so you know but those are the things that i wanted to do those are the things that makes me happy. And those are the things that makes me, um, does not have any resentment towards anybody. Um, you know, a lot of people feel that they have to do a certain thing to fit into a certain mold. And sometimes, you know, and I see it all the time, you know, of people saying, oh, I have to go home or I have to go wherever, or I have to go back to my home country because my parents said so. And I talk to them two years down the track and they said, yeah, I'm doing okay, but I still wish I was living in blah. And so there was a bit of resentment towards the parents or to their own decisions or to their society. Um, and I recognized that and I was like, yeah, no. Because if I keep going on in that way, then my life would be full of resentment because those are some of those choices I made for other people and not for myself. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that in itself makes me a black sheep. And I remember. And a mighty modern goddess. <laughs> I rem And do you know what? I remember. And this is going to sound really bad, but I remember saying to someone, I said, well, did they ever write a song about the white sheep that follows <laughs> everybody? No, it's ba ba black sheep, right? It's ba ba black sheep. You know, it's not ba ba white sheep, everybody. It's ba ba black sheep. Uh, I'm sorry. But I love you know, how you um, opened up the conversation with um, I identify as the queen, not the princess. Um, I think that that just took, took the whole podcast just to another level straight away because women, they're our, we're our own worst enemy. We are judgmental of each other. 
We don't like other confident women. We don't like an alpha female. We really judge them quite severely. And I love that you just came in and went, da-da, here I am, aren't you guys going to have a good time today? And um, <laughs> you slowly oh, I get yourself as I, I a get Indonesian so Muslim woman. Now tell me, how does the Muslim thing affect you as a modern goddess? What's all that about? Okay, so um, again, I'm a black sheep in that sentence as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm gathering that. <laughs> I've known a lot of Muslim women, and I've had a lot. I've got a lot of Muslim friends, but none are like you or expressing themselves <laughs> like you. So please tell me, how do you get away with it? Um, okay, so I get away with it. I think, and I only think. I don't know if I've actually gotten away with it or not. <laughs> Um, you, know how sometimes, you know how sometimes people say that perception is different to reality uh -huh. whereas I kind of say well you make your own reality so yeah. um, you know kind of like screw others kind of thing yeah. but um, <clears throat> at the same time I think one of the things that has worked to me in my favor is that I am a Muslim I, I am a, I am a Muslim that is not a question but I'm a Muslim for me you know, my religion is a private part of me. Um, I don't use it as an agenda to get to somewhere or to, you know, or to push onto other people. Um, if you look at any of my social handles, you will, you don't really see sort of like a lot of Muslim kind of posts. Um, yes, I do always say, you know, on <clears throat> excuse me, on Fridays, you know, I wish Good Friday to all of my Muslim brothers and sisters. Um, at the moment, it's Ramadan. So I do wish everybody, you know, Ramadan Kareem. Um, <clears throat> and I fast as well. Like I follow everything. Um, but it's all for me. I don't feel the need to sort of like advertise the fact that I am a Muslim, um, unless someone asks me. Um, a lot of people are actually surprised at the fact that I'm a Muslim just because of who I am and how I carry myself. Um, but, you know, to me, everything is, you know, religion is such a private thing that, you know, I do my prayers, I do my fast, I do my zakat, which is charity. Um, you know, I've done hajj, which is pilgrimage. And, um, you know, all of that is a part of me that I just do for me and I don't really advertise it if that makes sense like i post pictures of family having eid and when i was at hajj and things like that but it doesn't then become like an advertising platform almost or kind of like i don't see it as i'm a muslim therefore treat me differently i see it as <clears throat> i'm a muslim it's just part of me the end yeah uh so you know and i have a lot of muslim friends as well um, you know, I, I actually, like I said, um, I'm a black sheep in that center, in, in that sense, uh, because sometimes the way that I am has actually resulted in me being ejected or not being invited to certain Islamic things or certain, um, you know, Quran readings or certain sects of the religion or certain parts of the Islamic society, that sort of thing. Um, and then they all get a surprise when I open my mouth because I can recite the Quran word to word or that, you know, I actually understand a lot of the principles and I can have a very academic conversation about it. Um, and a lot of it is because I did go to an Islamic school for about a year or so um, in my uh, primary school day. So year 10 and 11, um, I was in, a, in an Islamic school. And um, it was required that everyone was able to recite the Quran, you know, completely um, without even looking at it. And um, I think one of the reasons why I am the way that I am is when I was in the UK in year seven, eight, nine, I took religious studies. And religious studies meant that every term we would do a different religion. So term one was all about Christianity. Term two was Judaism. You know, term three was Islam. Term four was Hinduism, etc. And at the end of it, we all had to submit a paper to compare and contrast the religions 
and what are the similarities, what are the differences, what are the subtle sort of like um, nuances, you know, things like that. And from that part of education, it actually made me fall in love more with Islam and it became my religion of choice. But then I also know of other religions out there and how more often than not, the principles are equal. The principles are the same. There's no religion that actually tells you go kill somebody or, you know, go, go harm somebody else. Um, and so to me, knowing those principles are literally equal. It's just that we all, you know, might have different interpretations and, you know, we all believe in different things. Um, you know, it's made me kind of believe that, well, okay, so religion is just a part of me. It's not something that I need to make it to be a differentiator of who I am in life. Um, and it helps as well that, so this, the, from a family perspective, I'm a Muslim, my mom is a Muslim, my dad is a Muslim, but my Oma and Opa, so that's my grandparents from my mum's side, are not, were not, they were Catholic. And so um, my father, was, uh, sorry, my Opa was Muslim who married a um, Catholic woman and that is allowed in the Islamic law. And, um, and then he then became a Catholic himself just about a year or so before he passed away. And which meant that I grew up out of the eight children um, that they had, so my uncles and aunts, there were four Muslims and four Catholics. So somehow or another, it just worked out that way. And the whole family has always celebrated everything together. So I am so used to celebrating Easter, Lent, Christmas. Um, <laughs> you guys just love to party and want to eat. <laughs> we just love to party, you know? My Oma is one of my inspirations because even though she's Catholic, she would fast with all of her Muslim kids and Muslim oh, grandkids for Ramadan and put on a spread for Eid. At the same time, you know, I, there were weekends that I spent with my Oma and Opa and they took me to church. And mum and dad said, go to Oma and Opa's house and go help them decorate the Christmas tree. And, you know, my Oma has always said, Asti, religion is a private thing love and acceptance and family and friendships are more important than religion. And so I think because of all of this combination, it's really shaped me to be the kind of Muslim that I am um, in the sense that, you know, unless you know that I am one, sometimes you don't even know that I am one. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing all that. It's very exciting to think that um, your daughter is going to come growing up in such a beautiful enriching environment and come from a woman such as yourself I think that's really exciting so let's end on the note let's 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 uh let's express I'd love to hear what your um your prayer is for your daughter tell me how do you want her to be loved properly look <clears throat> One of the things that I have always said and how I would like my daughter to be loved is that she is loved for who she is, not who she is meant to be or who that man would like her to be or what the society would like her to be, but who she truly is. If, you know, if society wants her to eat pizza, but she wants to eat popcorn, then I would like the man to date her to buy her popcorn. You know, so it's that sort of, because that's what, because, because to me, it's like, there's so much societal pressure out there on who a woman needs to be or who a woman should be or what they can and what they can't do. And if you do this, then you're wrong because you're, you know, putting your career before your child. Or if you do this, you know, then you're putting yourself on the back burner and you might lose yourself. You know, all of these things are, are, are like noise around us, right? Um, so my prayer to my child has always been, I hope that you are able to determine for yourself who you are, what you like, what you want to be, what your opinion is and your sense of self. And I hope that the man who is damn lucky enough to even be you know 10 feet near you can recognize those and accept those and love you for those nothing else 
And you know what? It's lucky if there's any man who is going to come 10 feet near her. Because with me as her mother, there is going to be a very, very stringent like application process. You know? <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing... I remember seeing this meme about like, you know, if you're a guy wanting to approach me, please make sure you hand in a 500 word essay on how you're not going to waste my time. And I said, 500? I want like a whole thesis with flow charts and diagrams and stuff, you know? So, um, <clears throat> you know, I really, one of the prayers that I do have for my child is that I hope she finds that sense of worth in the sense that she is enough and that no matter what she's asking for no matter what her her opinion is whoever's lucky enough to be in her realm respects that accepts that and supports her in it because that's what i ask for for myself and on that note thank you for joining us asti it's been an absolute delight i really hope i do get to see you again i'll put um, oh, any details that you'd like on the bottom of the show notes. Um, but I know you're a corporate person, so it's not the same as a business person, but I sense that you're going to probably write an amazing book one day or have you already? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> you should definitely tell um, your story. Well, it's amazing. Well, if anybody wants to connect with me, they can, you know, like yeah. I'm an open book, like, like, like as anyone would know, um, you know, I, I, I literally talk to anybody and everybody. So, You're you know, I, I, so yeah. So, uh, let's end there. Um, otherwise we could talk for days, I reckon. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Sometimes I, this is the part where I have to actually control myself or otherwise I start taking up too much time of other people's time. <laughs> I think with this episode is fantastic and thanks for joining us. I look forward to seeing you in series uh, in season two. We'll loop back around Definitely. and check back in with you again based on everything Definitely. we've learned in season one. So we'll have lots to discuss, yeah. but thanks for Perfect. setting it up. This uh, conversation has been amazing and you're amazing. Oh, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. And thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, it's I've, it's not every day that I get to actually share my story and share how it is that I've, I've been made, so to speak. So this has been, yeah, it's, 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 it's been amazing. Um, it's emotional. It's, I'm, I'm actually realizing, thinking, holy crap, I need to say thank you to my grandparents and my parents more now, um, you know? And, uh, <clears throat> and so it's, it's you know, as I tell it, it actually starts to trigger things in my head and in my emotions as well. So thank yeah. you. And th thank you for um, inspiring us all. You are uh, quite a formidable modern goddess and you're exactly what we're after. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. See I'll you see soon. you soon. Bye. Bye.